Bible Church, Pastor Phil here. We have just a few announcements to share with you as we get started this morning. If you're new to Wheaton Bible Church, we'd love to connect with you. Okay, hold on, pause it. I'm gonna have to read this. This is not the correct thing. The first mat that combines desk mat, stand, and organizer board together. Before smart desk mat, your desk could be messy with laptop, tablet, phone, book. Dude. <laughs> and I serve with our communications. <laughs> Just a few announcements before we get started this morning. Hello. <laughs> to learn more about which groups are available, scan the QR code in the seat back in front of you. This community group will meet on Sunday from June 12th to July 31st during 10... We got this. <sighs> this is not going well. We haven't even decided yet. There, perfect. I like that. We start from there. Do you not like kids or do you want children? I don't have children anywhere else in it. No, it's just not a word I, we use a lot in ours because we use it with Kids Club, Kids Life. We talk about kids, but I can do children. I don't care. Thanks so much for spending part of your weekend with us and we hope you have an amazing week. Let's do the outro. Yeah. Just three quick reminders before we begin our morning in worship. Just three quick reminders before we begin our morning. Yeah. Visit wheatonbible.org slash membership or reach out to Andy Stahl. I almost said Andy Stanley. <laughs> he will not he will not DM you back, sorry. Okay, you guys, my nails are not done. They look so bad, so I have to stay here. Do I look okay? It's hard not to move my hands, though. Just paint them green over here. <laughs> Hello? 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 <laughs> Just like, what's the guy's name from Hey Arnold? Gerald? I don't know what that is. What? You've never seen Hey Arnold? So, Familia, I'm super excited today because uh, today I get to introduce to you Brent, as newest member of the family. Uh, something like that? And then I turn to him. That's just to show you how hard it is, the things that we do in this church. Um, we are so glad that you are here. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the senior pastor of the church. Uh, and we go from fun to something that is fun and yet serious. Today, we get to introduce a new member to our church. So please come to the front. How about if we give him a round of applause? As a church, we believe that uh, membership is a, is a biblical principle. We believe that the Lord has caused the leaders of the church, the pastors, the elders, and the ministers of the church to make a commitment toward the congregation, and at the same time, the congregation to make a commitment toward the church or the leaders as well. So today what we're going to do is I'm going to ask you a few questions, and then you respond, I do, if you agree. And then I'm going to ask you a question, and you have to respond, I do. Amen? Before God and us, you brothers and sisters in Christ, do you affirm that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord, and do you commit yourself to him to walk by his Spirit in holiness and love? Absolutely. 
Thank you. Do you believe in the doctrine of the Christian faith set forth in the constitution of this church? And will you live consistently by those doctrines? Do you promise with God's help to participate in worship and work and support of this church in a spirit of love and community? And do you commit to pursue our mission that, we will, that as a church we will love God, love one another, love our neighbors, and love the nations? Now I'm speaking to you, congregation, for those of you that are already members of our church. Will you, the current members of Wheaton Bible Church, now commit yourself to the love and care of this new member of our church? Would you pray that our uni, uni, uh, unity glorifies Christ so that we might together worship Christ and further, further his cause both here and around the world? If you agree, please say, we will. Now I want you to stand and raise your hand toward this new member, um, and then we're going to pray for her. Beautiful Savior, we are so grateful that we are here today. Grateful, Lord, that you give us the privilege and the blessing, Lord, to receive this uh, uh, beautiful and amazing lady as an official member of our church. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you may be with her. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would use her. I pray, Lord, that she would always remember that you redeemed her and made her part of a family and her giftings and abilities are for the glory of your name and the well-being of others. We are grateful, Lord, that as a church, we are united to worship one God, redeemed by one brother, sealed by one spirit with one mission, to live for you and to give you glory. And I thank you, Lord, for this. And now, Lord, we pray, Lord, for this service. And I pray, Lord, that you exalt yourself and that we get to worship you and receive your word. Now, please be, be with us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the congregation says, Amen. thank you so much.
Please have a seat. Well, every, um, every service we go through a, sesh, a season of we have pray, time for praise, and then we have a time of confession and assurance in preparation for hearing God's word and responding to it. And so right now we are thinking about um, our desperation for Jesus. So during my Christmas break, I thought I would be a little personal and tell you a little bit about me. Um, I'm thankful that God has renewed my love for his word in the last few weeks. You know, sometimes it can get dry, but I was thankful that he did that. And I did a binge read of three of the gospels all in like two days. And it was so wonderful. It was so good. And um, I loved immersing myself in the story of Jesus. And if you haven't found a Bible reading plan yet this year that works or that you're feeling, um, we have the church Bible reading plan, but I also encourage you to take long chunks because you never know what God might do as you invest yourself in his word. So I was talking with my husband, Steve, about, um, about the bigger picture of the gospels, and I was saying how I often, as I was reading, I saw myself in the Pharisees so much, and I started to be quite worried about that. Um, because I don't want to be a Pharisee. I want to be the people who love and are accepted by Jesus. And we were talking, well, what's the difference between those people? And uh, we decided, and I said, he said, well, what's different? And the first word, all I could say was, I said, those people who Jesus accepted and healed, they were desperate for him. And Steve said, that's the, exactly the word I was going to use. And so maybe you would want to join me in a journey this year to be more desperate for Jesus. And I don't want to be desperate. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to be, um, it's painful to be desperate. But it's also so true, and it's accepting who we really are. I'm a sinner, and you are a sinner, and we're in need of a Savior. And so in, by having that initial pain and being desperate for him, we will be fully, fully fulfilled. And so I, I'm ready to be desperate for Jesus this year and experience his fulfillment and all of the fruits of the spirit that come along with that. So you're invited to join me if you would like to. And one of the ways that we do that is that we preach the gospel to ourselves every day right? And so um, this morning, we recite responsively Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, which reminds me of where we were before Jesus and what God did in sending his son for us, and then who we are now. And so let's stand together and recite the gospel as it's recorded in Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. 
it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming days he might show you the incomparable riches of his grace, expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. about God's great, great love for us.
right. Good morning, familia. As we continue in an attitude of worship, I'm going to invite the ushers to come to the front. Um, if you are new to the church, I always want to remind you that uh, this part of the worship service in which we bring to the Lord our offerings and our tidings uh, is for those of us who consider this local church to be our church. So please do not feel obligated in any way in participating in this. This service is a gift from, from us to you. Um, to the rest of the church, I want to remind you that there's three different ways for you to give to the church, right? Is you could always go and give online to go into witbible.org slash give. You could always place your offering in the plates as we pass them up or passing them around. Or for those of you that are worshiping with us online, you could always send your offerings to the offices of the church. You may pass the plates. And as we pass the plates, uh, I want to invite you to a very uh, important meeting that we have. Today we are celebrating a new member being uh, added to the church. Um, there is one of the privileges and, and responsibilities of the official members of the church is actually to come and participate once a year. We have uh, this meeting called the annual business meeting which this year is going to take, and, uh, take place on January 29, um, yeah, 29, uh, at 2.30 p.m. So it'll be uh, right after the, the Spanish-speaking service. Um, and we're going uh, to meet here in the West Worship. And if you have never participated in that before, or if you have forgotten what that is, there is a four purpose, uh, there are four purposes for that meeting. One, we take the time to celebrate everything that the Lord has done in and through us. So you will hear stories of what the Lord has been doing and is doing in our midst. Um, we also vote for a 2022 financial report. Uh, so you will, you will get to hear how is it that we used our money, what is it that the Lord is putting in our hearts, and how to manage our money for this coming year. And the, uh, the members of the church get to vote on that. Um, we get to vote on the ministry financial plan, and this is super cool. We get to vote for five elder nominees, right? So we get to vote for the finances of the church, for our for elders, and we get to hear, celebrate, and worship our God for everything that he has done. So if you are an official member of the church, we need to see you there. If you are not an official member of the church, you could come and join us. You could sit here, celebrate. You just don't get to vote right now. Uh, but then that's an invitation for you to become a regular member, an official member of the church. Amen? Let's pray. My beautiful Savior, we are grateful that you have made us into a family. A family, Lord, in which we come from different backgrounds and different things and different struggles and different experiences and different ethnicities and different social classes and different everything. And yet, you have turned us into a family. Lord, we are grateful because even a business meeting, something like a business meeting, is a family celebration in which we get to hear how beautiful, amazing, and powerful you are and the things that you have done. And at the same time, Lord, we, we get to bring before you a new, new elders, new budget, trusting, Lord, that you would use us, trusting, Lord, that you will move in our, way, in our midst, trusting, Lord, that you would direct us. 
Lord, I'm part of our celebration. It's not just what you're doing here. But part of our celebration, Lord, is what you have been doing in our country, in our nation, for years and years. One of those celebrations is the one that will take, pla take place tomorrow, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. We are grateful, Lord, that uh, because of people like him, Lord, we get to reflect, at least in the church, a little bit of what heaven is going to look like. So please help us to rejoice with the things that you have done because that was an evidence that the life of that man is an evidence of your grace. And what he stood for is an evidence of your grace. This concept, Lord, of loving one another, even though we belong to different groups and we come from different groups, is not something that man created. It's something that you created. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you allow us to celebrate the things that we need to celebrate. And with that, Lord, I pray that by the power of your spirit, uh, you allow me to speak to the congregation this morning as we continue to embark in this uh, introduction of, of a modified uh, mission statement. Could you please be with us as we open up a scripture this morning? In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the church says... All right, so if you are visiting for the first time, welcome to Wheaton Bible Church. Those of you that are already part of our church, welcome to Wheaton Bible Church. But if you're visiting for the first time, I actually think that this is a very um, significant time for you to visit the church. Because as I just mentioned in my prayer, we are um, introducing a modified or revised mission statement. One of the things that I said last week is that the two most important questions that people can ask is, who are we and why do we exist? As Christians, we shouldn't be uh, wondering about our identity, and that would be identity and purpose, right? But as Christians, I don't think we should be wondering about our identity because if you are a believer, if you already place your faith in Jesus Christ, you should know that you already have an identity, See, as believers, as a church, we already know who we are. We are followers of Jesus. That's kind of what the term Christian means. We are little Jesus. We are the church of Jesus Christ, the one that he's purchased by his blood. We are children of the God Almighty because in Jesus we have been adopted. We are redeemed people because in Jesus we have been forgiven and accepted and justified, declared righteous and pure. In Jesus, we are already loved by God. And in Jesus, we have been already sealed by the presence and the power on the person of the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And there's so many more things that we could say about our identity. But that is not the purpose of a mission statement. The purpose of a mission statement is for us to remember the purpose for by which or for which we exist. And, and before I move on to that, there's something that is extremely important for us to understand. That our mission statement, our purpose, flows from the reality of who we already are. Let me say that again. Our purpose is not so we could have an identity. Our purpose is rooted in the reality that we already have an identity. The identity that I just mentioned, an identity that cannot be shaken, an identity that is not bound to anything we think or feel, an identity that is rooted, because once again, it is rooted in Jesus Christ. That identity, though, is functional. That identity not only affects the way we view ourselves, 
and who we are, but that, that identity shapes how we live. That identity shapes the reason why we exist. And that's where the mission statement comes in. And what I said last week, if you were here, is that our mission statement, it's a summary of the great commandment and the great commission. In that order. That our, our mission statement is a summary, is how we feel that God displays the great, command, the great commandment and the great commission. So these are the two passages that are key for our mission statement. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 39. And I'm going to ask us to read this together if you don't mind. Love the Lord your... Let's start, let's start again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the great commandment. Now let's read together the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. We exist to fulfill that. Jesus redeemed us to fulfill that, to be people of the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. That is the best way to summarize who just Jesus is, what Jesus died, and what he made us to be. And the, way that, and the way we express that as a local congregation is to talk about these four loves. We are called to love God, love one another, love our nation, love our neighbors, and love the nations. The Great Commandment and the Great Commission. Now, last week, if you were here, I talked about the first two loves. And if you, if you missed it, all you have to do is go to our website. You're going to be able to find it there. So I'm not going to spend time there. Today, I want us to focus and think a little bit about the second two loves, love our neighbors and love the nations. Um, let me start with this. The most natural reaction, the most natural behavior is that if someone has tasted or been impacted by the love of God, of the God of love, it is to respond to God in love, is the most natural response, followed by learning how to love one another, because we are one family, right? But the scriptures never stop there. So let me say that again. The most natural response for someone who has tasted the love of God or the God of love is to want to want to love him back and to want to love the people that belong to that family. But the scriptures never stops there. The scriptures will make it extremely clear that that, that love does not stay there. Actually, that love goes outside the walls of the church. It goes out there. It learns how to love people, and this is the third love, he learns to love our neighbors. Now, just in case you're wondering what the symbol is, the little square in the middle that will represent us as a church, and the circumference of the circle will represent the context of our area of influence. And the idea behind this, uh, this principle here is that we as Christians, we do have a responsibility to love one another, and, uh, love God and love one another, but we also have a responsibility to love our neighbors. That God calls us to love him and to love one another. But that is never, ever, 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 ever. Can you say ever? It's never an excuse for us not to love people that are living outside the walls of the church. 
And I could make so many arguments for this besides the scripture, but I'll give you one that I don't know if you ever thought about. Is the Lord calls the church to do something similar to what the Trinity does or did. Something similar to what happened within the Godhead. Jonathan Edwards will be one of the ones that helped me understand this. He would explain that the only reason why God, well, Jesus came and he came to give us his love and the love of God is because within the Trinity, within the Godhead, there was so much love from eternity to eternity that all they wanted to do was to share it with other people. That there was so much love within the Trinity that the only thing that they wanted to do is out of that overflowing love for us to receive it. And I think that that's very similar, very similar to the reason why we exist. If we are experiencing the love of God the way we ought to, and we love God in return the way we ought to, and we learn how to love one another the way we ought to, I guarantee you that the most natural reaction is for us to want to share that love with other people outside the walls of our faith, uh, of our church, and even our faith. So, Someone may ask the question, okay, you are calling us to love our neighbors, so the question is, who is my neighbor? Now, if you know anything about the Bible, you probably remember that you're not the first person asking that question. Someone already asked that question. And remember how he told you that Jesus uses the word neighbor in two different ways. He talks about the family of faith, but he also applies it to people outside the family of faith. And in Luke chapter 10, we find that second used. So here, here we have an expert of the law. Someone that is a religious leader. Someone that knows the Bible much more than the way you do and I do. Someone that memorized all the Old Testament. Someone that knew how to apply certain knew how to apply the Old Testament. Someone that would go to church all the time. Someone that would teach other people how to, how to teach the Bible. This is someone that was really important in that context and in that context in that time. Extremely religious person, for the lack of a better word. And he approaches Jesus and asks a very interesting question. He says, What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Which is interesting because he believes that you can inherit eternal life by something you do. As Christians, we would say, no, 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 that's not Christianity. We don't inherit eternal life or we don't go to heaven by the things we do. We only go to heaven by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. So as much as this guy is a leader of the law, he doesn't understand the scripture very well. What is interesting, though, is that Jesus tells him this. You got to love God, and you have to love your neighbor. Now, we can almost assume that he thought that he was an expert on loving God. Because when he responds, he doesn't say, well, I already love God. He assumed that he already loved God. But he's struggling a little bit with the concept of loving your neighbor. You know how I know that? Because of what he says in Luke chapter 10, verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. Pay attention to the word justify. And he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, you have gone through this. I've gone through this. Whenever we are trying to justify ourselves, it's because deep down inside, we know that we are guilty. 
The people that are not guilty, we're never trying to justify anything. We're like, yeah, I'm guilty. Or no, I'm not. Leave it, leave it, leave it as that. But the text says that there's something inside of him that is not leaving him at peace. And that's why he says, wanting to justify himself, he asked the question, who is my neighbor? It's almost like if he's saying, is my neighbor the people within my religious circle? Is my neighbor the people I like? Is my neighbor my social class? Is my neighbor the ones that I have fun with? Is my neighbor the ones that I like or look like me? Who is worthy of my love? That's the question. Who is worthy enough of my love? Of my love? Because if you look at all the people I've mentioned before, or that I mentioned before, I guarantee you that he was doing that well. He knew how to love his people. He knew how to love the people that looked like him. He knew how to love the people that smelled like him. He knew how to love the people that went to the same church. He knew how to do that. But there's something there in which he's still trying to justify himself. And it is within this context then that Jesus brings the story of the Good Samaritan. And he tells the story about this man that was attacked by thieves and they took everything from him and they beat him up and they left him to die. And then in verse 31, Jesus says this. A priest happened to, to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now, you got to keep in mind the word priest. Verse 32. So, too, a Levite, when came to the, play, to the place and saw him pass by on, on the other side. Now, you have to be, you really have to pay attention here because there is, a, there is an intentionality. And why is it that Jesus uses the word priest and Levite? See, Jesus wants this religious leader to make a connection between him and a priest that is a religious leader and a Levite that is a religious leader. He's confronting him and saying, maybe, 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 just maybe. You are like that priest. And you are like that, that Levite. You are the one that sees someone that is different to you, and you cross the street, so you avoid the person. But then he uses, which is crazy, he uses an example of a person that this leader would consider to be a second-class citizen person. Verse 33. But a Samaritan... As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. See, in that context and that time, as Samaritan, as I as mentioned before, he was not just a second-class citizen because he had a, quote-unquote, different pedigree, but he was considered to be unwanted and impure. And Jesus uses that man as an example of someone that knows how to love the neighbor. It says that that man has pity or compassion on the person that is broken and the person that is hurt. Now look at how he helps because that's what compassion looks like. Verse 34. He went to him and bandaged his wounds Pouring oil and wine, which is kind of a medicine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. 
Notice that he didn't approach the man and says, you know what? I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> Notice that he doesn't say, you know what? Just, just stay here. No, no, no. He is invested because that's what compassion looks like. He is invested from the beginning. Now look at what it says in verse 35. The next day he took out two, uh, he took money and gave it to the innkeepers. And he said to him, look after him. And if there's extra expenses there, don't worry. I will cover those expenses or those expenses. So here we have a man that is a religious leader. Thinking that he's more important and more valuable. Someone that thinks that he's following God's law. And Jesus uses a Samaritan, a second-class citizen, to show you what loving your neighbors look like. And this is what Jesus tells us and calls us to be. To love our neighbors means that we actually pay attention to the people that the Lord has put in our roads. In our surroundings, in our context, in our circle of influence, in our community. And we look at their needs and we exercise compassion. And we help with words and deeds. And we heal with words and deeds. And we provide for, uh, to the best of our abilities with words and deeds. And just in case this guy missed it. Jesus looks at him and in verse 37 says, go and do Likewise, if there's something that is beautiful about Christianity, is that it's holistic by nature. It calls you to love the Lord. It calls us to love one another. But he also calls us to love our neighbors, people that are not like us, people that we find on our road. You might remember, if you were here, you might remember Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. This is what Paul says to the church. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Which is interesting because in one sentence, he puts love for one another and love for our neighbors. In one sentence. I'm assuming that many of us here are familiar with the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. There Jesus calls the church the light, the salt of the earth, the light of the world, a town built on a, on a hill that cannot be hidden. And then he calls the church to let our light shine before others so people may see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. See, salt br- brings flavor. You're supposed to be tasty. And not because you didn't take a shower. But because of the way you live, salt preserves, salt penetrates, and as light, we bring comfort. We take over and we change things. It's interesting because the word good there for good deeds can also be translated as beautiful. We live in such a way, loving our neighbors in such a way, that they can see the beauty of God in us. Notice that as Christians, we are not called to be divorced from this world. We are not called to hide from this world. We are not called to be afraid of this world. God calls us to love him, to love one another, 
and to learn to love people outside the walls of the church. Live such a beautiful life. Serve in such a beautiful way. Speak in such a beautiful way that people will see and say, man, I want to know that God. So they will glorify our God in heaven. Listen, as Christians, we are not the center of attention. God is. You don't go into your community to say, look at what a good Christian I am. We go into our community so God looks amazing. And people find him attractive and beautiful. We do not do that so we could have an identity. We do that because we already have an identity. That is the whole journey of the Bible. That is the story of redemption. God always blesses people and sends them out to be a blessing. God always blesses people and sends them out to be a blessing. I think that there's a difference between the Old Testament, the gospel and the book of Acts, and the epistles after that. I think that God was working in a different way for all three of them. So, for example, for people in the Old Testament, he wanted the Israelites to live in such a way that their surroundings would look at them and say, I want that God. But when you go to the Gospels in the book of Acts, and I'm going to call that a centripetal community. You know, you attract people to you. But when you go to the Gospels of the book of Acts, you find a different community. You find a community that I will call a centrifugal community. It's a community that is being sent out. So Old Testament coming, uh, Gospels and the book of Acts go out. But when you get to the epistles, though, you see a church that is both centripetal and centrifugal. It's a group of people that are living in such a way that their message, their worship, their lifestyle invites people in. And at the same time, the same community goes out to love people outside their faith. Both centripetal and centrifugal. You know, it's interesting about church history and what you see in the Gospels or the New Testament is that you never see believers compromising what they believe for the sake of love. That will be one of the things that the culture says. One of the biggest lies the culture says. They say that if you really want to love people, you have to compromise your beliefs. That is not what we see in the Bible, and it's not what we see in church history. Listen, I recommend, there's a ton of books, but The Rise of Christianity will be one book. Um, um, I was thinking of another one. I'll come, back, I'll come back later on. But if you want to read how is it that the first century Christians lived, um, and you want to learn from them, you've got to read material like that. Dominion, that was the other book. Those two books, very clear. Uh, 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 it shows you really clear what it means to be a Christian in the first century. So I've said this before, but when we look at what's happening in our culture today, there's always a group of people that say, oh my goodness, this looks like hell. 
Oh, let's run for the mountains. Let's create community so we don't get infected. That is not what you see in the Bible, and that is not what you see in church history. So if you think that we have a bad, read the first century church. And what I want to do is I want to give you 10 things that history shows us and how first century Christians lived and their struggles they faced. And I want you to compare what they lived to what we live in today. Ready? You got to say ready. Here you go. In the midst of a Greco-Roman Jew world, these Christians did not embrace the entertainment of the time. They chose not to participate or go to the gladiatorial fests. Their definition of entertainment was completely different to what the culture said. One. Two. They refused to support Caesar and to participate in selfish wars of con or conquest or conquest. Number three. In the midst of that culture, they refused to support abortion and infanticide. In that culture and in that time, if you had a baby and you didn't like the baby or the gender of the baby, which was usually girls in those days, they had the right to throw the baby out. And Christian says, no, that baby has value and dignity, therefore we don't support that. You know what they did? They would take those babies in. Number four, they empowered women. In a society and in a culture that, in which they used women, they empowered women and used and put them in positions of leadership. Number five, they went against sex outside of marriage. In a culture and in a time in which everyone slept with whoever they wanted, they said, no, marriage is for one woman and one man within the covenant of marriage. Number six, they went against same-sex practices. And they said, no, that is not what our God wants. Sex is for one man and one woman in the context of marriage. Number seven, they were wholly committed, 100% committed to the poor. The vulnerable, the broken, and the sick. They were committed to their communities. Number eight, they proclaim in the midst of a pluralistic community, monotheistic world, that there was only one way into the presence of the Father, Jesus Christ. Number nine, they were willing to die for their faith. They were not the great people. They were willing to die for what they believe. They were considered way too radical and too narrow-minded. Number 10, they lived as a family. So and so much that because they call each other brothers and sisters, this is ridiculous. They were accused of incest because they would see a quote-unquote brother and sister getting married. Tell me if what they went through is not very similar to what we go through. 
And yet, they remained faithful. And the church grew by thousands and thousands and thousands. One more thing to say, though. So this is uh, extra credit for you. Number 11. They mixed races and social classes in all of their gatherings. No one in that context and at that time would do that. Which leads me then to our fourth love. We are called to love the nations. This is the great commission. Look at what it says in verse uh, 28, uh, chapter 28, Matthew 28, 28, verses 19 to 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. And I put the word ethnos there because that's where ethnicity comes from. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, all of them, to obey everything I have commanded you. The church of Jesus Christ is for all kinds of people. The church of Jesus Christ is not supposed to be monotheistic. The church of Jesus Christ makes disciples of all ethnicities, all nations, all groups, all kinds of people. We welcome all kinds of people and we go and make disciples of all kinds of people. Now, if you think that this is like a one-verse thing, I want to give you a case study really quick. And whenever you get the chance, go home and read the entire passage by yourself. This is Acts chapter 16. This is already, Jesus already ascended to heaven. This is Paul interacting with three different kinds of people. And I want you to pay attention to the different kinds of people he had interactions with. The first interaction is that he, uh, Paul is ministering to women. Remember how I said that one of the things that they change is that they actually value women? Well, he is, he is ministering to a bunch of women. One of them, her name is Lydia. And the text says that God opened her heart. In his sovereignty, God opened her heart so she can respond to the gospel. And her and the rest of the family believed and, became, um, and got baptized. Now, this is interesting. Lydia is a Gentile, like you and I. She is Asian. She's a successful businesswoman, and she's wealthy. I want you to keep that in mind. Because if you keep on reading, then you see Paul interacting with a, slave, a girl that is a slave. And the text says that she had the spirit, um, a spirit that predicted the future. Meaning that she was uh, owned by somebody and she was being used to make profit. So this is another woman, but she's not like Lydia. And she's not Asian, she's Greek. She is economically, spiritually, emotionally, and socially oppressed. She is poor, demon-possessed, abused, and rejected by society. And God uses Paul to liberate her in the name of Jesus. Keep that in mind. And then you keep on reading in the same chapter, and you see that Paul is taken uh, to prison. And then he encounters a jailer that most likely was an ex-military Roman soldier, meaning that he was Roman. And what we know from the rest of the Roman uh, military people, that he was brutal, violent, and most likely uneducated. But because he worked for the government, he's kind of a middle class. 
So here you have Lydia, Lydia that is upper class. You have this late girl that is lower class. And then you have this man that is kind of a middle class. And God uses Paul to save this man. And the same thing that as Lydia, him and his entire family come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if you don't get it, then you have, let me just say it to you. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel touches and welcomes all ethnicities, males and females, rich and poor, brutal and gentle, educated and educated, sophisticated and unsophisticated, respected and disrespected. He makes of this group of people one family, united by one father, united by one message, adopted by one father, redeemed by one brother, and sealed by one spirit. Isn't that the picture of what heaven is going to look like? See, Acts chapter 16 gives us a glimpse of what we find later on in Revelation 5 and Revelation 7. Here's a picture of the redeemed church singing a new song. Saying you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you, Jesus, were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons. What kind of persons? From every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. We are not supposed to be the same. The church of Jesus Christ is supposed to look different. See, that text alone says that we are called to love God because he loved us first. We were purchased by the blood of Jesus. That text alone says why is it that we should love one another? Because the Lord has put us together. We are, we are made, in, and the text says, a kingdom family. See, we love our neighbors because he placed us in a context and a time and a, and a place as priest, the text says, someone that represents God and is representing the love of God and the God of love. The text says that we ought to call love the nations because the gospel is for everyone. For every tribe and language and people and nation. I want to finish with this though. I want to give you another reason why. I chose the word love as the unifying theme. See, last week I told you that I chose the word love because that's kind of the traits of what it means to be a Christian. If we worship a God of love, one of our traits is to be people of love. We become what we worship. But there's another reason why I chose the word love. And it's because the word love in the Bible never, ever, 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 it's a contract. You do your part, I do my part. That's a modern concept of love, not a biblical concept of love. Love in the Bible always, it's a covenant. That's why we believe in membership. It's in which a person commits to the other person regardless of what we go through. See, I'm calling us to commit to God, to love God regardless of what happens. Regardless of what happens in the culture, regardless of what happens in your house, regardless of what happens in your life, commit yourself to love God. I'm asking us to commit to love one another, regardless of what happens. Regardless of how beautiful your neighbor is sitting next to you or how annoying your neighbor is. 
I'm calling us to commit to loving our neighbors. Regardless of who they are and where they come from or how sinful they are. I'm calling us to learn how to love the nations. To welcome and go people that are nothing like us. Regardless of what we go through. See, what I'm calling us to be is what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says about love. So I just want you to hear it. We're, we're not going to read anything. It's just I want you to hear it. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Love never fails. That's what love looks like. Question. Can we even leave that out? You know what's interesting about 1 Corinthians 13? That is the passage that is most used in weddings. And it has nothing to do with weddings. You could use it there. But that passage is for the church. Who can leave that out? This is my answer. The church. But not simply because we will try harder. But not saying, well, I'm going to love that way. Because I'll give you a day. And you won't be able to make it. You know how can we live that out? When we remember... That God is love. Therefore, that passage, at the end of the day, is not about you or me. That passage is about God. And that he calls us to be like that because that is the love that we already have. In Jesus Christ. The only way we get to be people like that. Is when we see behind Jesus, behind the crucifixion, behind the redemption, the God of love that way. So this I want you to see. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. God does not dishonor others. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. God not keeps no record of wrong. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. God always protects. God always trusts. God always hopes. God always preserves. God or God's love never fails. Yeah, how about if you give him glory? The more you believe that, the more we see that in Jesus Christ, the more we will become like the people that he wants us to be. Amen? Let's pray. My beautiful Savior, I, I want to pray. As we step into this new mission statement, Lord, or this redefine or modify mission statement, I pray, Lord, that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 Maybe a foundational text for us. 
It's actually 1 Corinthians chapter 13 what explains why is it that you called us to live out the great commandment and the great commission. But more than that, it is because of 1 Corinthians 13 that we can understand what your love looks like. Why is it that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross? Why is it that he resurrected? And why is it that you justified us and sanctified us and adopted us? I pray, Lord, that you make of us people of 1 Corinthians 13. Not so, not so we could earn or get something from you. But because that's what we already have. You are our God. Our God that is like that. Lord, for this new season in the life of our church. May we become like the one we worship. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus. And we all say. Today, as we respond to God's word, we're going to offer ourselves to him in a way that we want him to help us to love him and to love each other and to love our neighbors and love the nations. And so we're going to say, take our lives and let them be consecrated to you. And as we do that, I've asked, uh, we're not going to have any choir up here. We want you to sing to the Lord as a body. And so I'm not going to sing. We're going to let you lift your voices to him. And let's just sing as a family and offer ourselves to him in this special moment of worship. So let's stand together. Take my life.
service, committing ourselves to our Lord, because our Lord already, already committed himself to us. Amen? Amen? Let's receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us. May God bless us. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine in us so that his ways may be known on earth, his salvation among all the nations. And the church says, thanks for coming. We love you. Have a blessed day.